Okay, can everybody hear me all right? Okay, great. So, this is the second Parsha about the building of the temple. And I want us to, last week I was talking about doing some meditations like we did last year on the inner temple. This is the building of the tabernacle. But what I want us to talk about first, and we've been doing this for a while. We have, this is our second time through these Parshaot. So I know that we went, this website, the school went up right after Pesach. So this is, we're in the third year of Noahide Nations. That's really very exciting. Um, and so we are going through these Parshaot again. And each time we go through the Parshaot, we should go through it like we're learning all over again because Hashem is doing new things in our lives. And so I want to share with you some things that he's been doing with me and how this relates to the building of the temple. And, and this is inner work that we're all supposed to be doing. Now I know that you've heard me talk about Luz. And in fact, when the Holy of Holies was built on the on the Temple Mount, the place of Luz, the place of the of the rock, was where Yaakov lay his head, and this was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was set. So it's a very special place. It's a place that he dreamed of the ladder that went into heaven. He dreamed of the angels of all the, of the different nations on that ladder, and so it's a place where he was actually relating in that symbolism to the court of heaven for all of the nations. So he was seeing into the world of Yetzirah. This was a place of Luz. Well, I've talked about Luz meditation. And it's very, very significant to me. It's a place that I know how to go. But sometimes I would forget. And it was a place that I had actually been shown when I was 19 years old in a dream. So it was a place that Hashem drew me in my sleep. It was a place that He took me in meditation when I was recovering from surgery. It was a place He took me in meditation after that when I was more conscious of where I was going. But I didn't quite know and then, when I met Rabbi Baxt here, we developed a type of going there in meditation where we would actually speak to each other and we would say what we were seeing. And he said to me one time, do you realize, Miriam, that your voice is different when you're in lose? You have one voice in lose and one voice out of lose. You have a different mannerism, a different character in Luz than you do outside of Luz. And in fact, I think this is true for all of us. And if what it is is being conscious of being in the presence of Hashem. And it changes us because our soul, the essence of who we are, rises to the top. And in that place, we don't have fear. 
We don't have insecurity. We don't have any second thoughts. We don't have doubt of ourselves. We certainly don't have doubt of Hashem. And we're able to receive all of those those shells, all of those barriers between ourselves and Hashem just melt away. And so we're in a different space when we're there. In that lose space. And so I would like it very much. Would you say that Yaakov sought out lose in order to lay his head there to meditate? Did he know what it was? Actually, he did not. He was surprised in the morning when he woke up and he said, Surely I was in the house of God and did not know it. Now, there are some rabbis who say, Well, of course he knew it. But there's, there are levels of knowing. There are levels of consciousness. And this is what I was saying a minute ago. The first time I saw Luz, I was, it was in a dream. That was a level of consciousness. And after that, for years after that, I would always wonder, what would it be like to be able to always walk in that presence, in the, knowingly in the presence of Hashem? And actually, that is being in Luz. Learning in lose, teaching in lose, praying in lose, always being in that space, and having our relationships with people in lose. Thinking what we say, what we say to people, what we say about people. If we always think how our words are being heard in the courts of heaven, how our words are hurting somebody or helping somebody because th- we do have that power in our speech. And if we always have that consciousness of I'm, I'm in the city of Luz. I'm in that place where Yaakov lay his head where he saw these angels. I'm in that place where the angels of the court of heaven are listening to every word that I say. They're listening and they're weighing my words they're weighing my words for me, for someone else, or even if I say, which is a big mistake, judge between me and him, well, guess what? I'm the one who's going to be judged first. And it may not go so well for me, even if I'm, quote, right. And we learned this from the lesson of Sarah, our mother, Sarah Imenu. I mean, she was this great holy woman. But yet, she said those words, and it cut years off her life, because she was the first one judged. So if we can think of ourselves in this place, in how we behave, and what we say about someone or to someone, sometimes people think, well, as long as I say it to their face, then I'm okay. Well, that's just plain dumb. You can say horrible things to somebody's face I mean maybe that makes you a person of some type of courage but it doesn't make you holy we have to worry all the time about what we're doing and what we're saying and I'll tell you a literally a literal it's not a secret the B'nai Noach movement is not that old in the world it's rather new in the world. And it's very appropriate for us to talk about the B'nai Noach movement as we're talking about Luz because this is the place of the court of heaven. And I have been witness 
to some of the most horrible infighting among the Noahides that you wonder if some of these people literally want to destroy this movement and why they would want to do that. And you wonder, have they ever heard of the court of heaven listening to what they say? And even if they think that their motive is righteous, why in the world would they, you know, they still need to think. Think what is going to happen. What will be the consequence? What's going to be the consequence in the world? And what's going to be the consequence for myself? So, right now, with us in this class, I want us to think of ourselves in that space where Yaakov was with his head on the stone. If you have to close your eyes and take a deep breath while you listen to the class, that's fine. But go to that space. Let's share that space while we learn. And quite frankly, I would like us to start that habit all the time. But every time we learn Torah, we're going to that place. We're sitting in the court of heaven. We're letting the words of Torah go out into the world, into ourselves, into our hearts. And we're wanting the glory of Hashem to build our souls, to heal us and to heal the world. And that's our prayer as we learn Torah, all Torah, that our learning Torah is a prayer. That our very life is a prayer. And we're sitting in this place, this place where the Ark of the Covenant sat. There were these tablets, the second tablets that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down from the from the um, from the mountain. The whole tablets they were placed in the ark on top of the original broken tablets. At the heart of the temple, in its innermost part, stood the ark, the God heart of creation. And this Ark of the Covenant stood on the foundation stone of creation. It was the heart of God of creation. From within the Ark's chambers, the life, God life blood is pumped to pulsate throughout his creation. To be nourished from this life blood to ensure that his heart not bypass you, you must open your heart and make a vacuum for God to enter. And there are two distinct chambers in the heart arc, each one holding the different tablets. One holds the second tablets, written by Moshe, whole and intact, while below it are the first tablets, written by God, shattered and broken. The whole tablets denote one whose Torah knowledge is intact, but whose whole heart has no room for God. Those broken tablets denote one whose Torah knowledge is shattered, but whose broken heart is flowing with God. Which tablets are greater? The broken ones, of course. They were produced solely by the infinite God. They denote scholar 
who knows that his knowledge is solely the work of the infinite God. His knowledge may be fragmentary, but his knowing is whole, the God presence, just fills his whole soul. Yes, study the Torah, learn its details, strive that your knowledge be whole, but more important than that is to find God within, by grounding your knowledge on a heart that's broken. This is what we need to do, just, pl just see that those broken tablets as a broken heart. That the plan, the original plan, maybe didn't work out. Hashem had another plan. But it's built on the shattered first plan, the first tablets, that would have been more perfect if they could have been realized. And in the Holy of Holies, at the temple's innermost center, stood the foundation stone. It's on this foundation stone that the Ark of the Covenant is placed. Why is it called a foundation stone? Because all creation is founded upon it. The foundation stone is reality's singularity point. It symbolizes the center of creation. It is the primordial ground which God brought forth. The formless existence which all forms of creation conceal. Earthly creatures, cosmic forces, beings of higher intelligence. All just different faces assumed by the formless stuff. Giving birth to all faces, giving life to all forms, this faceless existence itself remains unchanged. The forms seek expansion. The faces strive to express. But at this center, there is deep inner calm and no change. All these different faces exist within man as different roles that he acts out. Earthly drive, force of emotion, intellectual striving and ambition all are roles that we are busying ourselves with. Some of us act out one, some act out another, and some of us act out all three. Each of these forces seeks self-expression to expand and expand to control our lives. If we surrender our beings to any of these forces, we indeed lose control of our lives. So ground yourself here. Get in touch with this touchstone, the foundation stone. Identify this with your innermost self. Remove all those theatrical masks and be released from all your roles. Free yourself from those forms that fetter. Center yourself at this simple beingness of life. This is the point, the place, wherein the transcendent creator touches creation. This is the stone, the holy of holies, wherein the infinite God can be found in this finite world. At this place, you have reached the ground of existence, with no ego identity, without any form. From here you can see all those roles you act out, and watch as they pass by, one by one, earthly drive, force of emotion, 
intellectual striving and ambition, roles, merely roles that you act out. They are not the core you, but they are forms you assume while the real you remains changeless forever. Here at this point, at the center of soul, you will find God, who is forever changeless. No need to express, expand, or control. You just are with God forever. This is the lose experience. The just being with God. Dropping all the masks, all the pretenses, where you find out who you really are. Who you are in Hashem. What your soul's purpose is in the world. This is where you can really hear in the silence. You can just make yourself silent and you can hear and you can be real. That voice that goes soft, that has no fear, that has no ultra sensitivity, no worry. That's who you really are. That's who you are in God. Because this is where you have real faith. This is where your feet are on the foundation stone. And you're grounded. And you can be who you are. And your prayers can be real. I mean, think. If you say things about someone else, if you say things about yourself even, and you say those things in prayer, you see yourself in that place, saying those things in prayer, you're going to be real. You might think otherwise. You might think, oh, that person makes me so mad. But when you go into that place, if you're really in that place, suddenly you don't say it quite that way because you're in the presence. If you're really being conscious, you're in the presence of Hashem. You say, oh, I'm in the Holy of Holies. Oh, my feet are on the foundation stone. I'm standing in the place that Yaakov saw the courts of heaven. All the angels of all the nations who under them have all the angels of all the human beings in those nations, including the human being that I may be thinking about, including my own, then it causes us to just, our voice changes. Our whole attitude, our whole motivation, everything changes in that space. Because we become who we really are. So we go to this place whenever we need to recenter our inner world. Still and serene, forever blissful. This is Gan Eden of the spiritual world. This is the place where our forefather Yaakov reached the stone upon which he placed his head. And that place where he placed his head, right at the base of his skull, as he placed his head, he was in total, complete union with Hashem. This was a place where he was in union. And our rabbis say, how is it that he had to see this in a dream? And the reason was because he was not yet married. But yet, he reached this place 
this place of seeing. And the Ari said he was like he was in union with the soul of of Leia, who is a personification of the highest types of prayer. He was in union with her in his soul before he ever met her in person. And it was transforming and it made him into that whole man. So in this place, this touchstone, we become whole. We become who we really are, just the way Yaakov did. And he had incredible power where he was able to see, where Hashem was able to show him. And it was his soul that was coming out without all of the fetters of the fleshly thing, the physicality of all the worries of the world and all this. He was free to really touch true reality. So he lay his head there. And under this stone, the land of Israel contracted into a spaceless, and formless place underneath him. It just folded up to where the whole land of Israel was underneath him. He was laying on this place that Hashem said, this place where you're laying, I give you. This symbolizes that at this stillness of the center, all external forms cease to expand. They return to their source whence they came, to the formless, expressed in the form but you cannot stay in this place forever no no you have to return to your daily life for you must bring out the potentials that lay deep in your soul and for this you must don those masks of life but once you've been in this place you can take it with you you can't stay in that place of course forever because you have to live in the world yes but you can take that consciousness with you into the world and infuse that mask that you have to wear in the world of who you are with that holiness that you bring out of this place. And this is the difference. You now have a touchstone, an ultimate perspective on life. If you begin to believe in the masks, and mistake them for yourself, you can return to this formless center of life. You have this place to return to because you can be aware that the masks, that the roles that you have to play in order to live in this world are just temporal. So you now you can know that they're not real. That they're not who you really are. They're just who you have to pretend you are, who you have to play out in this world because this is the physical world you happen to be in. But you can detach from these forms, disidentify from them. They are merely tools of yourself. Your earthly drive, force of emotion, intellectual striving and ambition, they rise from within and then return to your formless self. Give them expression within a Torah life as you observe them from the center of yourself. Make this stone, this foundation stone, the cornerstone of your life. So instead of letting those masks identify yourself and looking from those masks at the center as though it's distant from you, 
switch your places. Stand in the center and look at the masks and see them for what they are. And be able to play those roles. And inside you even, you even find yourself laughing. It's a holy laughing. That this is just the role you have to play in the physical world. Now, what is to do a little bit of an exercise now? We're going to do a guided meditation into that place, into that space where the Holy of Holies was to that stone that is the foundation stone of the world which is the inner, inner, inner part of yourself. So close your eyes and take a deep breath and we're going to go into the temple We're walking up the steps into the temple. We're walking across the holy place. And we're realizing that this is another way of going into Luz. That this is a place that would have been through the tree into the cave. So you see going through the holy place to go into the holy of holies is like going through the tunnel and you can stand in the holy place surrounded by the light of the menorah breathing the incense that rises up with the prayers of all people let that incense take your own prayers up and just walk slowly and feel under your feet the cool feeling of the smooth stone walk slowly to the Holy of Holies this is the Holy of Holies in your heart the heart of God that pulsates, pulsates the lifeblood through all creation, through yourself. So you're going inside your own heart. Part the curtain and go inside the Holy of Holies and stand there in your heart. Look inside at the places that are broken, the places of disappointment, the places that are shattered, dreams that you thought were so perfect. And let Hashem build a new place there, new tablets on top of the broken ones, because this is our hope.
and the angels were ascending the ladder. One of the things that the angels do is they take the prayers up. The words of Daniel were being taken up into the courts of heaven. And the angels take our words up. They can come from a broken heart, shattered life, and they can rise. But we have to have hope that there are new tablets on top of the broken ones. And relate to Hashem in both ways with that kind of hope. As we learn about the temple, as we learn about the building of the tabernacle, we need to be able to see it this way. We can see it as within ourselves. And we can see this as a method of meditating where we can rise up and join with Hashem. This was the whole point of His building the tabernacle after the sin of the golden calf so that there would be this method. The original, of course, it's just like the broken tablets. The broken the original were perfect. They were the ones to be prefer, to be preferred. But they were broken because man fell again. So there was a replacement of the other tablets. If there hadn't been the sin of the golden calf, there would not have been a need for a tabernacle. All the world could have held the presence of Hashem. But because of the sin of the golden calf, there was a localization of the presence of Hashem. And so he said, Build me a temple, and I and in them will I dwell. We're told in Midrash Tanhuma, God desires a dwelling below. He would have dwelt in all of creation. But because of the sin of the golden calf, that was not possible. Because we could not have, we could not have taken it. We could not have borne it. We couldn't have stood it. it. Would have burned us up. It would have destroyed creation. So it had to be localized. Because he still desired this for us. This perfect, this perfect thing for us. This love. He had for us. He wanted to be with mankind in the world. One day, we will be able to bear his presence in all the world, in all of creation. And this is the point of our making ourselves the inner temple. Because we are striving for that time when he can dwell in all of creation. And, you know, living here in Colorado, I look out my window at Pikes Peak. 
I go for a walk in the garden of the gods. I see the beauty of this world and I think, oh, can you imagine that this is a fallen world? That there is something more beautiful than this? Could we stand it? Because this world is beautiful. There is a real beauty here to the creation that he gave us already. And yet, this is a fallen, broken world. This is not what he preferred. This is not the perfection and the beauty of creation. That is amazing. And the same is true with his presence dwelling with us. So in the beginning, there was nothing. No one, no thing to receive, no creature to gain his blessing. And then God made a world. A world that would be separate from him in order to bestow upon it his blessing. Why? Because he is the giver of good. He is the perfect giver of good. What good is a world that is just part of him? To whom would he be giving his blessing? So God desired a dwelling below, a separate existence which would receive his blessing. But what good do we have? What kind of existence if we are separate from the source of existence? This is life? It seems so meaningless, so distant from his ineffable existence. We surrender ourselves in total abandon. God, take us back to you. The only blessing we desire is to be returned to your original union with you. So says God, build me a temple. To be a symbol for the utter transcendence. And in them will I dwell, deep in our hearts, with absolute intimacy and immediate imminence. Because the first thing that we experience with separation from God is the hopelessness. We experience loneliness. All of those kind of things, all of those negative emotions that we feel, feel are from separation from God. The healing that we desire, the healing of our souls that will precede the healing of our bodies even, comes from union with God. And this is what, we're what we've always desired, what all mankind's souls yearn for. And so this is the point of the temple, that we couldn't bear his presence through all creation, but still, we desire this. So no, God is distant, infinitely distant, yet always be aware that he's imminently present as well. Transcendence and imminence are two sides of a coin. There is no difference to the infinite. God is absolutely other, yet also intimately self in his simple, undifferentiated oneness. To experience his absolute otherness is to experience his imminent self. Thus, transcendence is imminence, is transcendence. Mikdash, temple, is transcendence. Is mik mishkan, imminence, is mikdash. God desired a dwelling below, a place where his absolute otherness manifests, 
and is bestowed as the bliss of his indwelling self. So he said, make me a temple. You are the flock and I am the shepherd, says God. Build me a pen wherein you can safely pasture. You are the vineyard and I am the watchman. Build me a shed from where I can watch you. You are my children and I am your father. Build us a bedchamber where we can live together. Make me a temple, God says. Make it also for me. Build me a place wherein I can find peace and refuge from all other outer disturbance. Build me this place so that I can find you tranquil without inner disturbance. Build me this place for you just to be my flock, my beloved people. Now build me a place nearby just for me where you will know that I am near you. Build me this place wherein you can find me, always so close to you. Build me this place from where I can watch you, my vineyard, my beloved people. Then build us a place beyond vineyard and pen, a place where we both can be one, where I am in you and you are in me, where we can share the secrets of being one. Build us this place, this temple within, because, my children, I cannot leave you. God's purpose in creation was the sublime ecstasy of experiencing His oneness. The two sides of His being are really one. Infinite transcendence and imminent immediacy. What greater bliss can there be in creation that, than experiencing how the infinite maker of the cosmos is beyond and is concerned with us? And at those moments in life when God does grant us a glimpse of this ultimate paradise, then we have entered, while still on earth, gone Aden, paradise. The story is told of a certain Tzaddik who dreamed of his own demise. His soul was brought straight into Gan Eden, but what he saw there seemed very amiss. It was not anything special as he had expected, but austere and no cause for bliss. He then heard a voice calling to him, No, you are very mistaken. It is not the righteous people who dwell in Gan Eden. It is Gan Eden that dwells within them. Two souls can be right next to each other in the midst of the same surroundings. One will experience the bliss of Gan Eden, while the other will experience nothing. One will oversee the inner spiritual worlds acquired by this earthly service, but his neighbor will experience nothing. Seek not a Gan Eden which lies somewhere out there in the beyond. Your Gan Eden lies deep within you. Adam's bliss while in Gan Eden grew from such deep awareness. So all-pervasive was his awareness that he needed no particular focus for his attention. He experienced it wherever he looked. So real was God, as real as his world, 
that he saw him wherever he looked. This paradise would have been permanently his had he heeded God's single commandment. This paradise will permanently be ours when we reach this one goal of all his commandments. But if God's purpose in creation is to give us this bliss, why is his stated purpose the temple? Why does the Torah begin with the bite, the bait of Breshit, teaching us that his purpose was the bite, the temple? Think though. Think deeply about this point until you see how Gan Eden is the temple. Because what is the purpose of the temple if not increased awareness of God? What is the purpose of the temple if not the in intimate experience of God? The real temple is not its physical bu building, but the fullness, the deep inner awareness of God. This is my temple, and I shall build him a temple in the deepest recesses of my heart. Blissful are those who dwell in your temple, which you have built for you in our hearts. So as long as Adam experiences awareness of God, his home was this inner temple. But when he lost this deep awareness, when he destroyed his inner temple, he was banished from Gan Eden, the exterior temple. Then at Mount Sinai, God opened the veil that clouds our doors of perception. He revealed himself as above and below and we regained Adam's lost perception. We then had no need for any physical temple. We ourselves housed the ultimate temple. But no, we too, as Adam, lost our awareness and failed to see God through creation. We worried that Moshe had been taken from us and that God had removed his presence from creation. Reciprocally, God constricted his presence and constrained it between the two Kruvim. These Kruvim, which stood in the Holy of Holies, now focused God's presence in creation. Whereas once we saw God in all of creation with no need to focus attention, now we could see him only via the Kruvim. Through concentrated meditative attention. There we can find him, because there he remained, hidden from our conscious awareness. But these same Kuruvim, which now show the soul, the soul way, are the very Kuruvim which also bar the way. At Gan Eden's gate they brandish their revolving swords with dizzying speed. This is the reverie and noise in our minds that bar us from still inner temple. This is the reverie which spins our minds dizzy with the repetitious convulsions. It's the inner noise that makes it hard to concentrate. That's the spinning sword, the revolving flaming sword of the Kruvim that stands at the gate of Gana Eden. So focus your mind on all of this noise and transform it into deep devotion. Express before God all of those thoughts. Have the Kruvim lay down their swords and transform their function. Rather than see them as a barrier, let them remind you that this is the way. 
The specific thoughts God places in your mind are His message to show you your way. Those are the things your soul needs to work on. For you there is no other way. And as you come to accept those God-planted thoughts, which you thought you made distant from Him, you come to the place of His imminence, where you feel so intimate with Him. Those very thoughts are His speaking to you, to remind you how close He is. What greater bliss is there in creation than the infinite God being so intimately concerned with me? It's very interesting for us to think about that. That there were Keruvim, two Keruvim, two angels at the entrance of Gan Eden to prevent going in to the tree of life. And we're still taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're still taking from this duality in this world. But the goal is to be able to go into the tree of life. This is the Torah. For us to be able to go into the Torah and to embrace it with all of our might and to be able to take from it the life that enlivens us. And so the, the flaming sword is the guard at the gate. The guard at the gate can be preventing us from going in. Or, he can allow us to go in. The Keruvim on top of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two Keruvim there too. And that is a place where the energy, where the meditation of all of the prophets was focused, was between those Keruvim. And so you can imagine, if you, if you close your eyes, and on the one hand, you see the flaming, revolving sword of the two Keruvim standing at the entrance of the, of the Garden of Eden, guarding the way to the Tree of Life. But then you look at the Keruvim, the two angels, the cherubs, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and they're channeling this concentrated meditation up into heaven and so on the one hand it's a barrier preventing us and then on the other hand it's actually channeling it where it allows us to go up it's two sides of the same coin one hand pushing us away and the other hand drawing us close and when we can see it that way we can see that the one hand pushing us away is working on ourselves it's what we need to work on ourselves. It's the gavura. It's the judgment of ourselves. Making ourselves worthy. Allowing those, the sword of the, of the Torah, the sword of Hashem, to cut away those things in us that would make us unworthy of being able to come close because we would be burned away. We would be burned up. So it's cutting away the klipot if we let it. And then we're able to draw close, like the Keruvim on top of the Ark of the Covenant, cut away that, that 
husk from our hearts so that we can go inside and we can come close and then we're able to rise up in that energy between the Kruvim that goes straight up into heaven. And when we, we can do this, we can focus our meditation in those two different places, wherever our soul is needing that kind of work, whether it's needing that pruning work, and it's interesting because even there's songs that are called Zimrot, which are called pruning, which is Zimmer, it's pruning. So it's pruning away those things in us that would be inhibiting barriers, and then there's the other side of it that's drawing us close. That is the loving kindness. We don't want that to be the only thing there is because it could be damaging to us. It's like being a permissive parent, that that would be damaging. So there's this balance of these two aspects that are being portrayed of the functions of these two sets of Kuruvim. The one that is guarding and pushing away, that is the sword that is pushing away and even cutting into us. And then the other one that is drawing us close, that is drawing us near, that is surrounding us with the light of Hashem and raising us up so that we can touch those upper levels. And this is ultimately where he wants us to go. He doesn't always want us to be kept from the tree of life. No. He wants us to be able to come inside. To be able to eat from the tree of life. And to truly have life. That's the whole point. He wants us to come close and to be able to become one with him. To understand what that real oneness is. But if we're not ready for that, it could be very damaging to us. And he knows this. And that's the protective purpose of the klipot. A klipa is a husk that if you, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you have a peeling on a piece of fruit. It's necessary to protect the fruit. But as long as the peeling is there, you can't get to the fruit. So at the proper time, you take the peeling off. And this is the way it is with us. There are times where we need that protection because we can't bear the light of Hashem. It would destroy us or it would damage us. We have stories of this where you're not ready for certain things. It will be damaging. We can't come too close in that area because we're not ready. But when we are ready, then we need to know it and we need to have the courage to come closer, to let that energy draw us closer and to let ourselves become more and more this vessel of God's light, which is the temple in the world. This inner temple within ourselves. And recognize that this is part of the work of our purpose in the world. So that at some point, this is the point of the redemption, that he will be able to dwell in all of the world. That we're making these vessels in order for that to be possible. So right now, I think that I, I would like us to do another meditation. To just breathe and think about these two aspects of the Kruvim. The part that pushes us away and to look within ourselves. 
of those things that we need to have rectified, we need to have burned away, and the one that draws us closer. We Even within the Holy of Holies, we can see this. We can go and we can see these two aspects. One on the left and one on the right. These two aspects. And we can come into a balance between the two. So just close your eyes. And take a deep breath. It's only going to be a little while. We see the light. It's a pool of consciousness. We can see the point of light in the middle of this swirling, swirling pool of consciousness. Cosmic pool of thought, of our thoughts. And in the center, in the center point is that light, a pinpoint of light that is divine thought. We can still that whirling pool, we try to focus on that center pinpoint of light, the will of Hashem. To unify our thoughts with His. And this means surrender. Okay, we have five minutes left of the class. Four minutes. Is there anything you would like to share or ask before the class ends? Why did Hashem leave the first temple? Well, the standard answer is because of idolatry. There was a craving 
among the people of Israel and the people of Judah for idolatry to the point that there were um, worshipping idols in their closets at the very end. And so that's, it had to be, that had to be broken. We all have a big problem with that, even now. Yes, in different forms, we do. But from what the sages said about idolatry during the time of the first temple, it was something unlike anything we understand at all in our time. So, that's really, and, but you're right, we do still have a problem with it. It's really about our ego. So, it's what we have to work on. Laying it down and sacrificing it. So that Hashem can live through us. Yeah. Don't our physical hearts also have? Cha- yes, our physical hearts also have two chambers. And it's interesting too when we think about how a lot of times our physical hearts have two chambers, our brains have two sides, two lobes. I mean, it's we our being is two different. Even our faces. If you look at your face, the one side is not the same as the other side. And interestingly, in Hebrew. Face is not a singular word. It's a plural word. It's panim. It's really saying your faces. So you have your right side and your left side. So this is, your being is multifaceted. Yes, duality. And we all, that gives us choices. Okay, I'm glad that you enjoy it because I was sitting here thinking, I was just sitting here thinking, I wonder how everybody liked this because it's not something we do all the time and I just wasn't sure how you were. And I'm glad you liked it. But the thing about learning about the temple is for me, it's an opportunity to do a lot of inner work. And, I, and I, that's what I like about it. Because that's going into the inner meaning of what, what we're learning through the scriptures about the building of the temple. About the um, creation of all the different items of the temple. Is doing this inner work within ourselves. I don't even have the words to express the depth and insight in tonight's lesson. Thank you, Miriam. You have opened up so much for us. Well, I'm glad. Sometimes I'm going to that space and <laughs> I'm glad you went with me. <laughs>
So it's a place that we have to cultivate within ourselves. And it's a consciousness that I really do believe it's possible for us to carry into the world. It's not, I mean, we're always thinking of ourselves in this, in dualistic terms. And in a way, it's true. But if we can carry this consciousness with us more and more into our daily lives, it becomes our being real in our daily lives more and more. So that's my goal. Personally, that's what I'm working on and praying for. Sure, you can. You certainly can. So remember the date and it's Pekuda. And this will be the name of the of it. We have to ask ourselves how anyone would have done anything to make Hashem leave the place he wanted to be on earth with us. But we did and we have and I'm afraid we will. Well, according to our teachings, that's the reason we haven't had the third temple built yet. Because the third temple is the eternal temple. We have to be ready for it. You see, the thing is, Hashem did not allow David Amalek, the King David, to build a temple. Because if he had built a temple, it would have been eternal. He didn't allow Moshe to build a temple. Because if he had built a temple, it would have been eternal. And when the people of Israel sinned, he would have had no choice but to destroy the whole nation. So in his mercy, Hashem chose to destroy the temple rather than the people of Israel. And when we think about it like that, it, it's just, it completely changes our whole view. But the third temple, that's why we have to be ready. We have to be ready for the third temple because it has to stand forever. And if we're not ready, it would be dangerous to us. That's the reason the mosques are there. Because it's holding us back until we're ready. And the time will come. Hopefully in our day. So thank you for being here. And I hope to see all of you next week. So thank you and have a very wonderful evening. <laughs>